Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Williamson County School Board meeting, February 20th, 2023. I'm going to go ahead and call the meeting to order now, and we'll first start by recording our attendance for members. We have 12 board members present. Thank you so much. And tonight we're going to have Josh Brown lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance in a moment of silence. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Mr. Brown. And I'd like to say thank you to our um, deputies. We have Mark, Mr. Mark Gorman and George Hassong. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So the first thing that we do at our board meetings is welcome our public. And we have 11 members of the public who've signed up for speaking tonight. Um, each member gets three minutes to speak. And you'll be able to see the time up on the screen. I believe it's going to be up in front of you as well. So you can kind of guide yourself. But I will call up the two individuals at the same time. You don't have to come up when your name is called if you're the second individual, just so you can be aware that you're going to be coming up next. Our first two individuals are Corey Martin and Jeff Stewart. Mr. Martin, if you want to go ahead and come up. And you do not have to state your address. I've got those on file. Go ahead. I, my name is Corey Martin. I'm with One Wilco. Um, I just wanted to say that it was striking to me to be in this room last month and see the students that came up here and recite some of the uh, racial incidences that had been happening uh, recently. And uh, all while we're sitting and standing underneath a, a county symbol that has a, a symbol of racial hatred on it. And I understand that that's outside the purview of this board, obviously. And there are um, efforts being taken to correct that and also efforts to thwart that correction. But I would like to encourage the board today to take a small yet significant anti-racial act by naming the new Spring Hill Elementary School, Amanda H. North Elementary School. I thank you so much for your service to our community and for your time. Thanks. Thank you. Next, we have Jeff Stewart. And following Jeff, we have Quinn Williams. Hi, my name is Jeff Stewart. I'm also here with Juan Wilco. I'm not going to use the full three minutes. I may give some of it to Ms. Williams. Um, but I'm, I'm here also in support of the naming of the new school, Amanda H. North Elementary. When I first saw the recommendation from Mr. Warwick, I was really excited. Um, I confess I had never heard of Mrs. North until that time. And I think it speaks to the value of having someone devoted to learning and teaching our history as Mr. Warwick does. So I thank him for his efforts. I think it also speaks to the value and the importance of the names that we put on these buildings. And we don't get too many opportunities to name one and we wanna be really thoughtful. We don't wanna waste those opportunities when they come. Um, I think by now, 
everyone on the board is familiar with the qualifications uh, that Ms. North brings. And so I won't recount all of them, but just a couple of things that I, I really wanted to point out that stood out to me. Um, it's an opportunity to name one of our schools after someone who is not only a devoted and really accomplished educator, but truly a heroic overcomer of immense obstacles and a shining example for all of our children in this community. She served the children and families of our community with distinction during a period of shameful and unconstitutional segregation of public schools, persevering until Williamson County schools were finally forced to integrate in 1967, which was 13 years after school segregation was deemed unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of this country. She not only taught the children of Williamson County well, but her own children who on, went on to be teachers themselves as did their, uh, her grandchildren, one of whom, Mrs. Quinn Williams, currently serves as principal of Creekside Elementary. It's a really exciting day, um, and, and I trust that we're gonna get the right outcome, but my, my one disappointment is that there has been any consideration given to sharing this honor with a horse. Um, the horse may also have some distinction in its career, but uh, I, I was pretty shocked when I saw the recommendation of the committee uh, to consider this I think very ill-conceived mashup of the name of uh, one of our most distinguished educators and a horse. Uh, I think it's, it's a measure of disrespect that we should be very, very careful about, particularly with a woman of color in this community. And I hope and trust and pray that we'll get a unanimous vote tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Quinn Williams and then Jody Smith. Good evening, my name is Quinn Williams. To Superintendent Golden, Mrs. Durham, board members and district staff, I stand before you on behalf of Amanda H. North's family. We are grateful and appreciative that her history, contributions and legacy has been told and heard by many. My grandmother was a strong woman who worked tirelessly to make sure that black students in Williamson County were educated before segregation. She was poised, positive, and persistent. Amanda H. North was a woman of great integrity that instilled in her family the value of education and being kind to one another. We hope that you will see that the lady she was and what she stood for aligns with this district and the community. We are ever so humbled and honored that her name has been submitted and is now one of the finalists in the naming of the new school on Wilkes Lane. For us, it is befitting that her history is told this month as we celebrate black history. Her story is black history, which is also Williamson County history. Thank you for considering her name for the new school on Wilkes Lane. Thank you. We have Jody Smith and Ravita Raman. Thank you so much for your service. Um, to our families and our children in our county. I'm Jody Smith. This is my first school board meeting and um, I just wanted to propose that the new public school on Wilkes Lane in Spring Hill be named Amanda H. North Elementary. Um, we know why we're all here. Um, I'm also with One Wilco. And I'm just learning about Mrs. Um, Amanda H. North. She's a woman who served as a teacher and principal in Williamson County for nearly 40 years. She worked to build an exceptionally supportive environment for students by maintaining competitive standards and fostering a culture of fairness, integrity, diversity, and accountability at Williamson County Schools. 
and you know she embodies the values of Williamson County Schools. I was kind of thinking about all of those things as well, looking at her legacy, it's just incredible. Um, now deceased over a decade, she began her legacy of leadership in a one-room schoolhouse outside of Franklin in the, in the 1930s. She later served as the principal at an all-black Thompson Station School, nurturing a high standard of excellence for her students. Later in her career, she was transferred to Evergreen School where she served until schools were finally forced to integrate until 1967, which was a full 13 years after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled school segregation unconstitutional. And I just, I believe, as do many um, in this room, that the close proximity of her service as an educator to the Wilkes Lane School, as well as her exemplary life and legacy as a Williamson County educator and many other reasons make her the best choice to be honored this way. And, and I also do not believe it is fair to her legacy to ask her to share this honor with a horse. Thank you all so much. Next, we have Ravita Rockman and Denise Andrzejak. Buddy. I want to thank you for the work that you do and the difficult choices that you have to make on behalf of our students. But today, the choice to name the school on Wilkes Lane is one of the easiest tasks you will ever have. There's no contest between naming the school Amanda H. North Elementary or North Star Elementary. Amanda H. North Elementary is the only way to bring honor to Ms. North's legacy that WCS is still benefiting from today. From the impact to all students in WCS to value the honor as the first black woman, the first school named after a female principal whose impact can only be inspiration for her dedication, resilience, and her steadfast devotion to her students and her community. Let's be honest, the horse star pointer was accomplished and he's already received his recognition with a historical marker on Columbia Avenue. If you insist on Star Pointer having a presence at the new school, someone suggested allowing him to be the school mascot, which would be a great way to honor him. But please allow Miss North the individual honor and the respect she so deserves. Our community, community asks that she not have to share this honor with an animal when her impact reaches far and wide to many lives she impacted. Please vote for Amanda H. North as the name of the Wilkes Lane School. Thank you. Next, we have J Denise Andrzejak, and I'm sorry about mispronouncing your name. And then <laughs> Alessandra Colson is next. I thank the uh, school board for encouraging me to speak um, out tonight. And I concur with the Williamson County historian, Rick Warwick, of the name Amanda H. North Elementary School for Wil on Wilkes Lane in Spring Hill. While I have no children or grandchildren as students here, I have many young friends that I care about in Williamson County Schools. I appreciate the school board's philosophy of including the community here tonight in contributing to their learning experiences. I also appreciate the Board of Education's policy of setting goals for education diversity that takes into consideration the diversity for the student population, which is likely to continue to grow in the school enrollment as the school enrollment has increased 180%, 108% within the last 20 years. 
As a black educator dedicated approximately 40 years to a predominantly black students, Amanda North meets the criteria of place, residing in Tennessee, and legacy to her students. The Tennessean has reported that the Wilkes Lane School will relieve the crowding in both the Longview and Heritage Schools, re resulting in a more neighborhood experience in each of the three, allowing students to walk to school. For Amanda North herself would pick up her ch students who had too far to walk and no school bus. Her authenticity to her calling as educator would certainly reflect the Williamson County School Board's own rules for naming a facility as an individual with the Williamson County that would reflect the Williamson County mission, the vision, the core values, and the beliefs today. So I concur with the nomination of the name of Amanda North Elementary School on, Williams, on Wilkes Lane, Spring Hill, Tennessee. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Alessandra Colson and Kalita Perkins. Hello, my name is Allie Colson. I am a third grader and will be going to the new school on Wilkes Lane next year. I'm asking you to name Amanda H. North Elementary. This is our opportunity to do something extraordinary and name it after a woman who was a teacher and principal and principal in WCS. My two sisters and I will be walking in there next year, and I can't think of anything more inspiring than having it named Amanda H. North Elementary. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Next we have Kalita Perkins, and then we'll have Marie Fellhauer. Good evening. As a fellow Williamson County resident, I was moved to hear about the legacy of Miss Amanda North. She's the product from the same alma mater as I, Oprah Winfrey, and so many other great Tennesseans share. That is none other than Tennessee State University, formerly known as Tennessee Agriculture and Industrial State. Ms. North comes from a family of educators that have served and still serve as educators and principals. I too share the same family history of serving as, um, I'm sorry, I too, I, share, I, I too share the same family history of educators as many of my family served or currently serving as teachers, principals, as well as professors. So it is in my DNA for me to be here. It is my pleasure to, to share this stand with so many others to ensure that we remember the Williamson County mission as it refers to Miss North and that it is to deliver exceptional service through education, best practices, and teamwork. This is why many of our children are in the county as it is noted to be the best county for education and Ms. North exemplified just that. She did it alone and without any horse to help. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. <laughs> a horse is to be groomed, enjoyed, ridden, and perhaps raced, allowed to run free. They are often celebrated for their swift speed, prowess as pets and as a form of transportation. We can celebrate them, we can name them, tame them, parade them, and even work them. 
At one point in history, enslaved people were listed alongside horses as property, collateral and items of value to slave owners. Folk, we do not honor horses as human beings. They do not build schools, educate our children, or deserve a place of honor as does a human being, especially not one of the caliber of Miss North. That horse named Star should stand alone and have a place to call its own, perhaps an equestrian facility, but in, but in, it in the same area as Wilkes Lane if you want to give honor to the Star Horse. Miss North was real. She has a legacy that still shouts out her name. Say her name. Neither her name or legacy should be tarnished by suggesting a place of honor with a horse. Surely we have not dehumanized our fellow citizens to point that we feel it fair or ethical to put her as the same status as a horse. What kind of example are we providing our children? I ask the question of the person or people proposing the name changed to share their rationale for even making the suggestion for the name to be changed in the first place. Did one think Miss North's name could not stand alone? Is there an inherent or conscious concern about naming the school after a black woman? Surely I would think there were not, they were not thinking rationally about it. Whomever you are, you're minimizing her name to the status of an animal and ignoring Miss North's humanity and the great deeds she did for this community. Thank you. Thank you. Our final three speakers are Marie Fellhauer, Kate Keese, and Laura Kleeman. Good evening, uh, Madam Chair, is that correct? Madam Chair and Williamson County School Board uh, members. Uh, my name is Marie Fellhauer. I'm a recent transplant from Southern California, a small town named El Segundo, uh, where I served as a planning commissioner for eight years and on the city council for four years. I also just retired from the Los Angeles Police Department, serving over 25 years, and I retired as a lieutenant too. I'm here this evening to speak to you um, on behalf of Moms for America. I recently attended a gala in Florida with my husband and my dear friend, Karen Lovelace, who is a longtime resident here in Franklin. And um, at that gala, we were afforded the opportunity to meet a woman named Kimberly Fletcher who founded Moms for America. Um, we were so inspired by her that we decided to form a Williamson County Moms for America group. And I wanted to introduce what Moms for America stands for briefly. Um, it is to empower moms, promote liberty, and raise patriots. I'm gonna read you the preamble to the Declaration of Mothers written by Moms for America. The Declaration of Mothers is a proclamation to the nation declaring the principles we want upheld and promoted in our society, schools, and government, and communities. It is the voice of mothers who stand for truth, respect God, treasure family, and cherish freedom, committed to nurturing and advancing these principles in their home, communities, and through their votes. Uh, I just want to let people, the women of Williamson County who are moms or future moms or grandmothers to know that they can reach me at marie at hhcurations.com or on my cell at 310-529-5919. And of course, you can always go to momsforamerica.us. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. And next we have Kate Keese.
all that you do for our community. I believe that part of providing an excellent education is teaching subjects from a broad range of perspectives. Historically, our educational system has not done a great job of this. We have tended to tell the stories of one group of people from one perspective. This has had negative effects in our, on our understanding of the world and our place in it, individually and collectively. Another key ingredient to a positive education, educational experience is to inspire our kids to be their best selves. It is inspirational to see the accomplishments of people who are like ourselves. I'm better able to imagine that I can do great things when I see and hear stories of the great things other women have done. And that is why I feel so strongly that our newest elementary school be named for Amanda North. For too long, our society has honored the accomplishments of only a small percentage of our population. We need to broaden our perspectives. We need to honor the accomplishments of people from a broader cross-section of our population so that all students know they are valued and valuable. Our job as people who care about our children is to honor the contributions of all our best citizens. Amanda North is clearly one such citizen. Please show my children and all of our children that we value the qualities Mrs. North exemplified. Dedication to her profession, contribution to her community, and a commitment to inspiring future generations. Please name our newest elementary school, Amanda H. North Elementary. Thank you. Thank you. And our final speaker is Laura Kleeman. I'm here to speak to the book reconsideration decision. I want to thank the committees for their hard work and the time spent forming those recommendations. As you consider your vote, please place a premium on students' First Amendment rights. Parents know their child best and know what is appropriate for their child, especially in high school, where some ninth and 10th graders are more mature than some seniors and vice versa. Systems are already in place that allow parents to restrict access to mature material for their student. Students' First Amendment rights should not be obstructed by age-restrictive barriers. Please vote to allow parents to be the decision maker and support students' First Amendment rights by not creating a restrictive access age limit. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you to all of our, our speakers who came to talk with us tonight. We really appreciate your feedback and that you took the time out of your evening to come and talk with us. Next on the agenda is the approval of our agenda for tonight. Board members, if you will, um, we would like to accept a motion to approve. Mr. Ha and Mr. Welch, you second. Thank you. We'll go ahead and cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. We just approved our agenda for this evening. And next on the agenda is approval of the consent agenda. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell and Mr. Cash. Seconds that. Board members, we can cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. 
Thank you. And with that approval, we have approved the January 2nd or 17th, 2023 school board meeting minutes, the board policies for second reading, field trips, report cards and grading systems, and vacations and holidays, the recommendation for field trip fee requests, the approval of the ePlans Title III immigrant grant, the approval of ePlans Resilient Communities grant, the approval of ESSER 3.0 public plan for remaining funds addendum 2022 to 2023, the approval of the safe return to in-person instruction and continuity of services plan addendum 2022 to 2023, and the approval of town of Thompson's station request for utility easement at Independent High School. Next agenda item is communications to the, to the board and Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair, and uh, thank you, um, those of you who spoke uh, at our public comment. Um, it was a really good discussion, and uh, I appreciate the thought you put into it. And I've, I've got to call out with a, a special thank you to our third grade student uh, for, for sharing her thoughts as well. Well, well thought out. Board members, I do want to give you in the, in the audience here a reminder of our discussion from our work session. We, we uh, in the superintendent's report, talked about two main uh, efforts that we're going through right, right now. One is the math book adoption process. We've spoken to that over the course of a number of months dating back to September, October. This coming month, March, is the scheduled adoption time. So I encourage you to be thinking about that. I know many of our teachers are. They've reviewed the books. They're continuing to do that. And again, we will come to you with a recommendation in March after so many months of that discussion and update. Second, we spent some time introducing to you our vision and plan to, to uh, invest in college and career technical education with an innovation hub. That investment is from the state of Tennessee in this current year's budget from the governor, $15.5 million uh, for, for, um, for an innovative plan. That innovative plan from us uh, under the leadership of Dr. Jeremy Qualls includes uh, specifically an innovation hub. Our plan is to place this hub uh, next to Franklin High School's campus. We are taking that request to the County Commission for their review and approval next month for a long-term lease for some of the Cheek Park property that's immediately adjacent to what currently houses our, um, our Entrepreneurship and Innovation, Innovation Center on the north side of Franklin High School's campus. I am very excited about where we're going with finding a way to build on our EIC, our Entrepreneurship Center, to the next, take it to the next level so that students can come to an innovation hub and engage in some of those college and career technical education programs that we've been dreaming of. Uh, so I encourage folks to, to look at that. Finally, I do want to mention to you that in addition to your items on the agenda tonight, we are going through our strategic planning process. We have had three uh, broad community meetings based on regions. We have two more coming. Uh, tomorrow night, we'll be at Fairview High School in the cafeteria. If you come to the Fairview High School uh, visit, I encourage you to pull into the front side of the building, which, which, uh, which is actually the back side of the building. So more specifically, the side that actually is on Highway 100. We're going to do it at the cafeteria. Uh, so that would be the easiest entrance for you. Uh, on Thursday of this week, we will be meeting at Mill Creek Middle School for the Nolensville area discussion 
of our strategic planning process. Both of those meetings start at 5.30. We'll go from 5.30 till about seven o'clock. These are interactive processes where you as community members get to share your thoughts, get to share your dreams about where Williamson County can be in the next five years. So I strongly encourage participation in that. In addition to those community meetings, we're continuing to meet with stakeholder groups. We have a PTO president stakeholder group scheduled. We've spoken with a number of groups, including uh, student leader groups, et cetera. So looking forward to that process as we aim towards a May decision for the board uh, for our next strategic plan. Uh, so with that quick update on the superintendent side, one of the really great things we do here in Williamson County is celebrate student and faculty and staff success at the state or national level. And it seems like every month we have something to celebrate with our great work and our amazing students. So with that, Carol Birdsong, if you will, share some student and staff spotlights. Thank you, Superintendent Golden. I sure would love to do so. And we have many, many students from many, many schools to celebrate this evening. We are going to start with the Tennessee State Civics Essay First Place in grades three through five category from Trinity Elementary School. Lisa Tucci, her teacher is Stephanie Perfect. And you might have read about her in Focus. And if you did not, please go back and read about her. Um, now we're going to talk about theater and the Tennessee Theater Educators Association has named their all-state performers and tech folks. So we're going to start first with Centennial High School and Valencia Costa. She has been named all-state in acting. Her teacher is Megan Hargrave from Franklin High School. Also all-state in acting, Tatum Lander and Melody Brooke Myers. Victoria Capps is their teacher. From Independence High School, Emily Ebanks, Abram Knott, and Tristan Valdez. Again, Allstate Acting. Becky Williams is their teacher. From Page High School, Vismaya Chinapa and Anna Tate, Allstate Acting. Michelle Tripp, their teacher. And from Summit High School, Amaya Weekly, Annie Rice is her teacher and Allstate acting once again. Now we're going to move to Allstate Musical Theater. Centennial High School, Abigail Levy, Savannah Grace Monart, and Celeste Phillips, Megan Hardgrave again, their teacher. Also in Allstate Musical Theater from Independence High School. And folks, we have two slides here. Very talented students at Independence High School. Sawyer Curtis, Emily Ebanks, Abram Knott, and Luke Pearson, and Zoe Phillips again. Becky Williams is their teacher. Also from Nolansville High School, Allstate Musical Theater, Whitney Reamer, Laura Lindsay is her teacher. And from... Summit High School, Emma Dolberry and Kyla Jones. Annie Rice is their teacher. And now I'm moving to Allstate Design and Tech. Ryan Zarneski from Brentwood High School. David Moody is his teacher. And I'm going to put in a shameless plug. If you guys don't have anything to do this weekend, head on over to Brentwood High School. They are doing Footloose the Musical. It will get your toes tapping. And then Allstate Design and Tech, Zach 
Rackley, Centennial High School, Megan Hardgrave. And I'm going to also give a few more shameless plugs because it is musical theater season in our high schools, y'all. Centennial High School. Now, these, these next three shows will start March 2nd. Centennial High School is doing Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Page High School is doing 9 to 5, and Independence High School is doing Big Fish. Lots of great theater, and if you all have not taken in one of our high school or middle school shows, well, you're just missing out, so I encourage you to do so. Congratulations to all of our students and staff. All right, thank, thank you, Carol, and uh, Madam Chair, that is my report. Thank you, Mr. Golden, and thank you, Ms. Birdsong. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to Mr. Brown for hosting the work session in my absence. I heard you did a great job and got everybody out on time. Um, in new business this evening, we do have some um, school board budget items. The first item on the agenda is the approval of the Central Cafeteria Fund Amendment Supply Chain Assistance First Award. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is uh, the first of two uh, awards from the USDA uh, for local education agencies um, related to the purchase of, of uh, foodstuffs and, and the impact of food chain supply issues. So do recommend approval of this award. Thank you. Um, do we have a motion? Ms. Clements, a second? Ms. Mm. Apriya, any um, discussion on this item? Okay, if not, we can cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. And with that, we approve the Central Cafeteria Fund Amendment Supply Chain Assistance Fund uh, First Award. Second item for approval is the Central Cafeteria Fund Amendment Supply Chain Assistance Second Award. Thank you, Madam Chair. Likewise, this is a, a request for approval of an award from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for, uh, for our food service department related to food chain disruptions. Thank you. And do we have a motion for approval? Mr. Welch? And Mr. Brown? And we'll open the floor for discussion on this item. If no discussion, we can move to a vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. With that, the board approved the central fund, uh, central cafeteria fund amendment for supply chain assistance second award. Next, we'll be looking to approve the capital fund amendment intra category transfer, Cox and Wikes. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is a request uh, for additional funds from our contingency fund, actually our rural contingency fund, to allow for completion of the projects on uh, Wilkes Lane and Cox Road. Do recommend approval. Thank you. Do we have a motion for approval? Mr. Mitchell and Mr. Cash seconds. Any discussion? Okay, let's move to a vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. With this vote, you approved the capital fund amendment into a category transfer for the Cox and Wikes for $580,000. Next on the agenda is the capital fund amendment intra category transfer Mill Creek Middle, South Byfield. 
Thank you, Madam Chair. Likewise, this is a request out of the uh, Rural Contingency Fund, this time to build a softball field adjacent to the baseball field at Mill Creek Middle School uh, so that uh, both um, girls softball and boys baseball will have fields on that campus. Do we have a motion? Ms. Apriya and a second. Mr. Beasley, thank you. Any discussion? Okay, let's move to vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. And we just approved the Mill Creek Middle School softball field. Next on the agenda is the general purpose school fund amendment for disproportionality from IDEA. Thank you, Madam Chair. We're in year three of uh, uh, U.S. Department of Education disproportionality plan, uh, and this is a request for um, funding 207,356.85 out of federal funds into these specific lines uh, for that purpose. I do recommend approval. Thank you. Do we have a motion? Thank Mr. Haw, a second. Ms. Apriya. We'll open the floor for discussion. Okay, no discussion, we'll move to a vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, with that vote we approved the general purpose school fund, school fund amendment for disproportionality from IDEA. Next item is general purpose school fund resolution for nursing intercategory transfer. Thank you, Madam Chair. Through the uh, mapping of nursing services in our schools, uh, we have a need to move some funding from contracted services uh, to the salary line for nurses for a part-time nurse to fulfill those physical needs for our students. Do recommend approval. We have a motion. Mr. Mitchell in a second. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Open the floor for discussion. Okay, we'll move to a vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. We passed with that um, full approval general purpose school fund resolution for nursing intracategory transfer. Um, the last item under budget approvals is central cafeteria fund resolution for central cafeteria excess fund balance. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, this is kind of the opposite of what we typically think of when we think of funding. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has a requirement that school lunch programs at the end of their budget year shall carry no more than no more than three months uh, expenses and any excess is to be used to put back into the program. Uh, this $3.3 million represents that funding from our last budget year. Uh, and uh, we asked for approval so that we can put it into food service equipment. Uh, so pretty substantial um, repair and replacements of, uh, of food service equipment and some, some improvements to the uh, kitchens and cafeterias across the district is the plan. So recommend approval. We have a motion. Thank you, Ms. Apriya. In a second, Mr. Welch, thank you. We'll open the floor for discussion. Mr. Brown. 
curious over what period of time will these uh, re repairs and replacements take place? How, how long do you anticipate that taking? I mean, I think it's great that we have the funds and I know it's much needed. I'm just curious about that. Thank you for that question. We intend to encumber the funds in this fiscal year. I would like to look to Gary Anderson to speak because it's interesting. We mentioned supply chain in the context of food service for some of these uh, for some of these equipment purchases there's a possibility the supply chain might extend beyond um, this fiscal year and so mr anderson if you would any any detail you'd like to share with that Now there is the opportunity for us to place orders and stuff, but as Superintendent Golden said, we're not sure they can deliver when we need them. The USDA is fine with us as long as we have uh, put it in motion and moved on because they recognize the supply chain issues as you found out previously when they gave money for our food uh, requests. So uh, it will be done as quickly as possible. We have things already in the work. We are ready to start placing the orders, but we're not sure when suppliers can deliver them. So the purchases will be made, contracts will be committed to, we will encumber all the funds within the next, I don't know, few weeks to a month or so, and then the deliveries will come over time. Thank you. Um, any further comments or discussion? Okay, we can move to our vote. The vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. With this vote, you, we approved the Central Cafeteria Fund Resolution for Central Cafeteria Excess Fund Balance. Next item on the agenda is the approval of the 2023-2024 family tuition rate. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. Annually, uh, we take this request to you and you make a decision on the family tuition rate. Uh, and this recommended family tuition rate based on the per student general purpose operating budget for the current year actually happens to be $68 less than last year's uh, budget. We do recommend approval of that. I do want to specify that this has no impact on uh, the children of of our employees who are out of county. You may recall that last year we established that tuition rate much lower than the per pupil general fund expenditure. Uh, that's at $2,000 for the first year and under our SOP it drops $500 a year until it's no charge for students attending the fifth year for our full-time employees. Do recommend approval of this annual rate uh, for those occasional times where it's needed for people who are in the process of moving in the district or seniors who move out and complete their career here at WCS. Thank you. And do we have a motion for approval? Mr. Cash, in a second. Thank you. Um, that is Mr. Wimberly. And do we have any discussion? Mr. Welch. Well, and can you clarify for just for anyone listening that even though we have an out-of-county tuition rate, this does not mean that anyone out-of-county can 
attend Williamson County Schools and just pay the tuition. Thank you for that. Uh, we serve uh, any student who lives in the county uh, who, who chooses that service for Williamson County Schools. We do not have a provision in our board policy to allow for out-of-county out of students with two exceptions. One is children of full-time employees who live out of county can attend and pay a tuition rate. Two, those who are, who are in the process of moving in have a non-contingent contract to move in during the semester, can start their, can start their uh, the first day of school, uh, provided again they are, they are moving in per that contract during that school year. The process we go through with that is they pay the tuition. When they move in during the school year, that tuition is reimbursed to them. A final possibility on the back end of a career is when someone is, we do have a provision in policy that, that students can complete the school year in Williamson County Schools if they move out. So it's someone might move out over, say, the winter break. They can complete the school year and pay a semester's tuition for that. So this tuition rate is very particularized, specific instances within our board policy. Any further discussion? All right, let's cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, and the board just approved the 2023-2024 family tuition rate. Next item on the agenda is the approval of the school fees, annual agenda item, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. There's a longstanding process in the state of Tennessee for what's described in the code as school fees. Uh, these are requests that we can make of parents pending board approval uh, that are truly just requests for donations. Tennessee calls them fees, but for any services during this during a school day for instructional purposes, uh, it, uh, every resident of the state is entitled to a free public education. So I want to emphasize that what you are approving here, if you do approve it, is in essence a, re a specific request for donations to the schools for those items that are specified in, in these requests. There's another piece of this that includes fees for extracurricular activities. Those can be charged as a condition of participation. Uh, and uh, what we are asking of you is to approve those for the request for donation, typically called fees, uh, plus uh, the fees for the extracurricular activities. I want to mention one final thing in this description. Our PTOs and our booster clubs make a big difference in this context as well. There are so many pieces of, of, uh, of what it takes to run a public school system. This is a small piece. I believe it's a needed piece where we are right now. But in truth, our booster clubs and PTOs support us 12, 14, 15 fold what we receive from these fees. So I do recommend approval. Thank you. And do we have a motion? Mr. Welch and Mr. Haw seconds. We'll open the floor to, for discussion. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, is it required, does it require board approval for any other requests for donations from the schools? So the law in this instance requires board approval of these fees because there's a specific code section to it. And I'm looking to our attorneys, if I misspeak, please correct me. There are other laws for fundraisers. 
and those laws require a, approval for any fundraiser for on behalf of a school or even on behalf of a PTO or booster club to be approved by the superintendent or designee. I have designated uh, Dr. Julie Oyer as the approver for any elementary fundraisers and um, Dr. Lee Webb as the approver for any secondary school fundraisers. But so the board does not have an obligation to approve every fundraiser, but you do have a responsibility to approve fees. Fundraisers do not have a specific goal or item that they're raising funds for. Um, is that also pretty much just uh, delegated to um, the assistant superintendents of the respective um, schools? We do have a process. Um, we have a form that uh, boosters and uh, PTOs fill out. It specifies the nature of the fundraiser, the purpose for the funds. Typically what I see is the, the boosters or PTOs will have a particular purpose and then they will address in their plan what to do if they have excess funds. Uh, so every every specific request for a fundraiser includes their plan uh, and it, it in the in that possibility that they might bring more often will go into to, to the to the pto's fund so that they can make additional purchases i do want to invite dr webb and dr oyer to share if you have any additional detail in answer to that question one last question if i might madam chair uh, are in is every school required to attempt to collect these uh, fees or is there do schools have the opportunity to opt out of this structure thank you for that question these are the maximum possible fees that may be requested for any particular class or any particular school short answer to your question is no uh, the the principals do not have the obligation to request any of these fees they can opt out so they can ab absolutely decide we're not going to collect fees these fees within within their specific school that is correct thank you mr mitchell mr galbraith thank you madam chair uh, so jason we've uh, we've talked about this before but um from a from a budgetary standpoint if um if we were to um, if we were to identify enough money to, um, because for to replace the um, the fees, I think Miss Farmer said, you know, approximately one point three, one point four million dollars from from the voluntary fees at Middle and High School is what I'm um, is what I'm referring to, not the not the extracurricular um, fees, um, but. Uh, my, because my my goal has been for a while and will continue to be to, um, to, for a couple of reasons to take the, go get closer back to, um, to the free education, um, to reverse the, um, the change that was made back 15 years ago in a recession to come up with some additional funds where we, um, prior didn't require these fees and now we do. Um, for the people who are um, in elementary school, um, we're not talking about $25 per child. We're talking about, you know, $30, $50, $100 per class um, for each of your kids as they get into uh, to middle and high school. And so it's, um, it, it's fundraising um, that's done at the beginning of school 
um, it's a distraction for our teachers as we're talking about ways, that, things that we can take off our teacher's plate. Asking for money um, from our parents should not be on our teacher's plate in, what, in any way, shape, or form. Um, so we have transitioned away and done a good job of making sure that these things are, um, are in fact voluntary. Um, uh, Jason can, can remember um, a couple of situations, uh, you know, five or six years ago where, you know, where grades were being tied to these things. And I mean, if teachers were, you know, were conveying that if they didn't get enough money, then they wouldn't be able to provide, you know, all the activities or, or what, um, whatever at the, um, or the class. So none of that is true. Um, and so what I'm looking to do is to identify as we, um, as we find out more about our, um, the revenue side of the budget, um, and I'm trying to understand um, what the appropriate way to, to handle this is. I, I don't have a problem with, the, um, with continuing on as we, as we, as we are today, um, but if and when we do identify money to, to replace these funds, um, Jason, would it be, um, I don't. I don't think it would be appropriate to to amend this in a on and have a contingency set for. So if if we if we find the budget, if we find the money in the budget, then we just amend this at the at that time. Is that would that would that be the thing? And, to do? and I just heard um, from Mr. Cook. You said yes to that. So the answer is yes. But I'm going to speak practically. Um, if this was not, if this was treated as a separate budget request, each one of these requests from individual schools would compete with other budget requests. Um, I'm just gonna tell you where we are right now. I'm, we're gonna have to cut some items. Uh, and so would these survive budget cuts over the course of that? I don't know because we haven't addressed it in that way. Uh, from a strategic standpoint, I think you're right. The, the, that, that from a fundraiser perspective, could we make a treat this as a pure fundraiser and just have no fees? There are possibilities where we can make a substantial change in, in how we do this long term. Um, but again, if 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 the if the thought is if there's 1.3 million worth of this request, how can we get 1.3 million? If it was through our budgeting process, those items would compete against. All other all other needs that are brought to us through the budgeting process. Appreciate that. Uh, I guess there's there's never there's never going to be a point in time where where we're going to make a decision and say, hey, this million dollars is um, that something's going to be more important. That something's always going to be more important than this million dollars. It's just once you once you create a fee, it's impossible to get rid of a fee. So it just comes from a um, from a principal standpoint, are we gonna are we gonna give this money back to the parents? And and what we know they're gonna do um, is the PTOs and the boosters um, are gonna go solicit these 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 funds, and this money is still gonna go to the to the schools. A large part of it, I, and I suspect if we kind of transition and make it into a fundraiser, um, we could probably figure what what could result in is that we could raise more than this 1.4 million it's just not going to go to pay for paper and workbooks it's going to pay for the extras that um that our boosters and our and our ptos often get we often have a lot of things 
at our schools because of the boosters and PTOs that we wouldn't have otherwise. That's the, that's the opportunity cost that we're that we're missing out by by continuing to to do this nickel and diming. So um, so I just I, I hope that it becomes somewhat um, important to the board to to take this principled stand. I'll I'll continue to to try until I can convince y'all. So thanks. Thank you, Mr. Galbraith. Okay, if we have no more discussion, we can cast our votes. Your vote is 10 yes, 2 no. So with those 10 yeses, we approved the school fees, which is an annual agenda item. And the next item, item on the agenda is the approval of the Encore Summer 2023 Enrichment Program fees. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, for, for a number of years, our elementary schools, uh, and you can see the specific locations on this memo, uh, have had an Encore program, which is just a great summer experience for our students. This is different from the summer school that we've been talking about so often. Uh, it's, it, it includes a, um, some, some instructional elements in the July window of time for students to come enjoy enjoy some time uh, at their school so this fee is for that program and do recommend approval for this uh, summer's program thank you do we have a motion mr hall and Ms. mcclemens thank you any discussion all right let's cast our votes Vote is 12 yes, zero no. Okay, thank you, board. With that, we approved our uh, the Encore Summer 2023 Enrichment Program fees. And next item is um, a set of board policies. The first policy for review is uh, first reading of the school attendance areas, zoning, and non-residents. Thank you, Madam Chair. This uh, board policy 1.703 school attendance areas is one of our more detailed and complex policies. The proposed changes for first reading uh, that start on page two include in, um, describing in, in detail the new law for which we just uh, applied the second year for open zone schools. Plus, we are adding some elements that you all decided were appropriate in our most recent rezoning, uh, and that includes uh, some additional um, some additional provisions related to uh, rising seventh graders, uh, rising tenth graders as as they are rezoned. So, do recommend approval of this policy for first reading, and it will go back to the board policy committee for second upon your approval. Thank you. Do we have a motion for approval, Mr. Beasley, and a second, and Mr. Galbraith? Okay. Any discussion? Okay, let's move to a vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Just approved unanimously the school attendance area zoning and non-resident students for the first reading. Next first reading item is the use of internet. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, based on a change in state law and a TSB recommendation, uh, we have brought for first reading a use of the internet policy that actually has a companion deletion policy that we'll hit in just a minute. Uh, and uh, there, there are some elements that we discussed at the work session that we're going to have a little bit more detailed discussion on related to teachers' responsibilities uh, outside of school. 
Uh, but beyond that, um, for the purposes of this first reading, I do recommend approval so that it can go back uh, to policy committee uh, for discussion prior to second. Do we have a motion for approval? Mr. Mitchell and a second by Ms. Apriya. Any discussion on this item? Okay, let's cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, and the board just approved the first reading of the use of the internet. And the next policy is in relation to that item we just approved. It's the deletion of the use of electronic mail. Thank you, Madam Chair. This is a first reading for deletion of this. Again, as I mentioned, this is a companion policy. I would not recommend deletion of this uh, if the prior policy did not pass, but do recommend approval as a companion to its predecessor. Do we have a motion for approval? Mr. Welch and a second. Ms. Clements, any discussion? Okay, let's cast our votes. Vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, and this one will just be deleted if we approve the use of the internet policy upon second reading. Thank you. And that's the deletion of the use of electronic mail policy. And the final policy related item is the first and final reading of purchasing policy. Thank you, Madam Chair. There's been a change in the law um, for many, many years. Frankly, I don't know how many years. The, uh, the baseline for, for uh, purchases that require uh, at least three competitive quotes but don't require a full uh, uh, published uh, request for bid window was at $2,500. The state law has changed that to $20,000. Do recommend approval of this for first and final reading based upon an editorial change reflecting the law change. Thank you. Do we have a motion for this one? Mr. Mitchell and then Ms. Apriya seconds. Thank you. Um, we'll open the floor for discussion. If no discussion, we will move to vote. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. We have 12 votes to approve the first and final reading of an editorial change on purchasing policy. Next item on the agenda is the approval of reconsideration committee's recommendation for the following library books. Um, speak, Perks of Being a Wallflower, The Field Guide to the North American Teenager, and Where the Crawdads Sing, Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam Chair. A few months ago in uh, 2022, a parent made a request for reconsideration of a number of library books and use of books in, our, in a curriculum setting. Uh, after that initial uh, submission, the law has changed, and so we have had a policy change. So I want to make sure you know that we initiated a committee review per our board policy uh, at the time the request was made for these, for these four books. The policies changed, including, a, including some committee detail, but the responsibility for a final decision has shifted from the committee to the board for library books. That committee made decisions related to curriculum requests that this parent made. Uh, that can, can be appealed by the parent. We discussed it at the work session that the parent accepted the decisions of that committee. We provided you with a copy of that decision. But ultimately, this request came for, uh, for these four library books, and it is submitted to you based on a recommendation from the committee. 
Uh, and Mr. McNeese actually, if I'm not mistaken, has a copy of the, of the memo uh, with the recommendation of the committee posted and uh, certainly open for it to be placed on the floor for any decision you have to make. Do we have a motion from the board to approve? Oh, sorry. Mr. Wimberly and then Mr. Welch seconds. And we'll open the floor for discussion. Okay, we have Mr. Brown. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I think, it, Jason, I think it'd be useful going back to the work session discussion on Thursday for the, for the benefit of those who were not watching, who may be watching tonight, to hear a little perspective on um, how the complainant ended up responding and reacting to the decision that were made by the committee. Um, I think that's important context. Uh, and maybe also a little bit more on, this is more on the curriculum side, but it's for context, I think it's important that some of the decisions that were made by the committee um, on the curriculum aspect of this that were not ultimately removing the books, but making some adjustments or modifications um, to when those books were presented at certain grade levels. I think, I think that's helpful for a lot of people that I've heard from who are concerned about some of these kinds of issues to see that maybe the recommendation itself, while the recommendation is to leave the books in place in the library, there were some other things done that actually were, in my view, meaningful um, to acknowledge the concerns that parents were raising in this particular case, one parent, but I know it's broader than that. Thank you for that. Um, Ms. Willie Dickerson chaired that committee and uh, with board's permission, I'd like her to come up and, uh, and, and speak to those two questions. Number one, the complainant's reaction to the committee work since she has direct uh, information related to that. And second, uh, a short description of the committee review of the curriculum uh, concerns. I've kind of lost my voice, so I hope it doesn't go away uh, during this presentation. But we did have a parent uh, complain about the instructional parts of actually five books, but they only requested four of those books to be removed from the library. Uh, our committee uh, was made according to your board policy at the time. We had several meetings. Most of them were in person, even though we did have two that were Zoom meetings. Uh, we had a hearing where we actually spoke with the complainant. We also listened to the teachers. And I will tell you, as part of the curriculum part, this was an attempt, and, I, and I'll, now that I'm live, I'll say it in front of everybody. Uh, as the executive director of secondary school, I am very proud of that group of teachers. And I would love to have either one of those teachers teaching my child because this was a unit in, uh, in the course of study that they had had for two years, I think it's two, that uh, students had not really engaged in. It was a unit on misfits. And uh, the example given in the textbook was a 34-year-old man and that turned to books. It was kind of weird. But uh, kids did not relate to that unit. So the teachers, the team of 10th grade English teachers at this particular school met during the summer to try to 
do what they could to engage kids. And they had a list of 22 books that they were not going to really discuss in class, but they were going to be making some analogies. The students were going to be making those analogies and answering some questions about misfits. They met to narrow the list to, I think they told us they got it to 15, and then eventually they got it to eight. Um, books that kids could choose from. Uh, they sent emails to parents of that of that of the students in their tenth grade class, asking them uh, and suggesting this was an excellent opportunity for you to meet with your child, select the book books that you wanted your child to read, uh, narrow them. I think each kid could list three books, their top three priorities, and they were going to place the kids in uh, groups to have group discussions and group projects and things like that. And the committee asked the team of teachers how many parents objected, and only one teacher told us that they had two two parents that wanted their kids to read specific books. And what they did as a group of teachers, they didn't embarrass the kid. They didn't do any of that. They just put those kids on those books. And, and the student never knew that their parent wanted them to read that particular book. But it was an opportunity to, for parents to have said so from the front end. The complainant, likewise, the students have an interactive notebook that has a lot of additional information about the books. Um, parents had an opportunity to look at that. The committee suggested that uh, they be a little bit more specific because when it says objectionable content, um, that means different things to different people. So the committee uh, made the recommendation to the parents that they be a little bit more specific so parents know exactly what that was. And so, uh, when we met uh, during the hearing, the teachers brought in samples of students' work, and it was really good. The parent also shared with us that it was a hard decision for him to make as a family, whether or not to do that, even in his own household. They didn't agree on if he you know, if he had the right to tell me as a parent what my child should read. And so, but he thought that he just needed to press on. And when, what we did uh, with the books, there was one book and uh, where the crowd had seen that we said that the committee agreed that it, it was not a, youth, a young youth uh, book. It was rated as an adult book, and we found one, I think, review that said it was a young adult, but most of them said it was an adult book, and that uh, we felt that one should be in a tenth in a twelfth grade curriculum because of the maturity of the book. And I would tell, I told you all, and so I said again, it was my favorite read. Uh, of the books, and some people, some teachers even shared uh, that they would like to do that book, teach that book to 10th graders, and there were some parents that actually wanted their 10th graders uh, to read it so that they could have that discussion at home about that book. Uh, there was another one book that we felt that, and all of these books, I didn't say that to start with, all of these books were 
books of choice. They were not the primary uh, text. And we said that one particular book, Wallflowers, shouldn't even be, for 10th graders, shouldn't even be a book of choice in this kind of assignment because of the objectional content. Um, you had to wait to the very end of that book to get whatever misfit mean and why they would have that one on that list. But uh, so we talked to the teachers. I've since talked to the teachers, the ELL specialists, and they in our meeting reflected on uh, the books. They said it was the first time in, and since they taught this unit, the kids were really engaged in the unit and enjoyed it. They made some, they reflected on their assignment. They listened to what uh, the committee recommend and they're gonna do a little bit different next time for that assignment, but they still will probably give kids choice and give parents an opportunity to speak. And as part of our report, we also put in there the report about the process that librarians go to. We had a, it was a very lively uh, committee. Uh, we enjoyed meeting. We called ourselves the book club. Uh, we didn't always agree on every one thing, but we came together as one, and uh, that was the decision from the group. It was unanimous. Uh, and the library book, as far as the library, um, the way the policy read the first, uh, in the old policy, it was the decision of the committee for the instructional part. And the committee made that decision and we've sh since shared it with TLA, Teaching and Learning Department and everything. And the library book, we thought long and hard about the wording of uh, the way we stated it uh, in our committee. I don't have it in front of me, but it was, it was uh, you know, our committee felt very strongly about the way we worded it, and uh, don't see it up here. I think I see it on the screen over there, but not on mine. Uh, that without the guidance that the state was supposed to give us, that never came, that we felt that all of those books should remain in the library and not be removed from the library. Mr. Kristen, if I may, I want to give a little bit of detail to her last comment. She mentioned the language that's there that states without having clear guidance on how to determine the quote unquote level of objectionable content or age appropriateness that would dictate the removal of, of a book, the committee recommendation is the following. Um, at the state level, there was um, a directive that the State Textbook Commission give direction after the law was passed. To date, there has been no direction, and I'm looking at Ms. Osprey's for a double check. Uh, they, they have still not given that direction. So that's a reference to, to um, the, the legislative expectation that there be some redirection re from that textbook co committee and it has not yet been received. The only update um, that I have, you are correct, there is no actual guidance. There was an NPR article that ran um, that apparently there's draft guidance that has been leaked. So, trying to get hands on that. We'll see what it looks like. Yes, ma'am. And I just want to say how much I appreciate that explanation. You, you gave it on Thursday as well, but I really thought it was helpful for everybody who may not have been watching to hear that. 
I didn't talk about, you did a lot of part of what you asked about the complainant. He did send an email. Um, he had the 15 days in the old policy to appeal, and he sent the group an email thanking us for the work because we all had to read the book because you couldn't make a judgment or I, I felt very strongly we shouldn't make a judgment on a book if you haven't read it. And so uh, he thanked us for our work and he was satisfied with what the committee did on the instructional parts of the, the books. It, it, to me, it's just a great example of how the process should work. And a person had a chance to raise a concern, committee put thought into it, spent time on it. I thought it made some really thoughtful and important recommendations as you, as you cited, um, moving something from 10th grade to 12th grade. It just shows me there's flexibility in the process and there's a willingness to acknowledge those concerns when they come up. So I, I really appreciate your explanation. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Mr. Cash? Madam. <clears throat> Thank you, madam. You were on. Push that button again, Dan. Yeah. Okay, now now speak. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, <clears throat> and thank you, Ms. Dickerson and uh, that committee. <clears throat> um, I think it, it was run well, and it's, it's a fantastic job. But I, I still feel that we're going to get more and more complaints for reconsideration. I think we're going to be having these conversations uh, in many different areas. And uh, I personally feel that uh, the age of 18 is when we allow our children to vote. We allow them to buy cigarettes. We allow them to buy magazines at 18 years old. And I think we're forgetting that in the school system sometimes. I believe we need a rating scale for these books and uh, in hopes of bringing more parents' awareness of what the children are actually reading is one thing. But with a rating scale, um, and I don't, I don't know what that would be, uh, something like the movies, uh, but if a child uh, still, <clears throat> excuse me, still wants to read a book, uh, all we need is a parent's signature. At least they are well aware. And I know we send out, uh, I've got them on my, my grandchildren that, that we're reading this book. Uh, so if you have any problem, let us know. But still, if, with a rating scale for library books and some curriculum items, all we have to do is say, hey, if, if this is what you want your child at 16 to read along with 12th graders, then sign the paper. And I think it's something as simple as that. It gives them an opportunity to do it rather than bringing this all to a, a reconsideration process, which is a long process and a lot of hard work and a lot of work for our teachers and administrators. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cash. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Mr. Golden, just and. Wanted, wanted to understand and clarify something I heard in our work session that this in this particular example the complainant uh, commented that he personally had not read any of the books that he was com he was bringing up is that a do I did I understand that correctly I'm seeing a nod from Miss Dickerson because she was actually directly involved so I don't want to speak for that 
That so, is correct. Uh, yeah, she's I'm nodding hearing, that that seeing is correct. she's nodding to the affirmative that this particular parent was was wanting to have all these books removed, but yet had not bothered to read it himself. And and it was my understanding too that the reason for these particular books being raised was based solely on a list coming out of Florida. Is that no? Okay, answer, it was a second okay. one. All right. Yeah, the all answer right. to that to that question is no. That was not the. All right. Floor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miss Clements. See now. Uh, um, yeah, now you're on. I um I was on the other committee that's we'll be talking about next, and I just want to thank those who were on this committee. Um, I know that it is a a lot of work, especially with this many books. Um, and so I really appreciate everybody's effort on that. Um, with that being said, I I I, I can't support some of this because there are a couple of books that um uh, that have uh, some rape scenes um forced um oral sex and a rape of a girl that had too much to drink at a party and um there are just some heavy heavy things um that we are putting on our children um and our youth and uh i i'm a little bit troubled by some of the things that might be a, an implicit message that we say by having these books available in the library. Um, again, I just go back to we have we're giving heavy things to younger children, um, and and then we we wonder why we have a mental health crisis. We wonder why um, we are dealing with the things that we are dealing. And I, I would venture that um, we're putting too much on the kids. And I, I can't support this, having it available for all the grades. And um, I just feel like we need to really be careful about what we put in front of our children and, be, and we're accountable. So. Thank you, Ms. Clements and Mr. Galbraith. Um, so, uh, I guess to thank you, Mr. Brown, for um, for just a, for acknowledging that that we, I mean, first of all, we took we took all of the took every one of the complaints um, very seriously. It was it was clear there was there was no question um, as uh, I think the the complainant largely pulled online reviews and and did some did some research there, but um, but the the reviews were, were largely accurate. Um, the 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 issues that they raised were were predominantly the ones that we um, that we saw and talked about. We weren't really driven by that, but it, I mean, we everybody's um, everybody's attention was drawn to um, to the same passages or themes of the of the books. I think the um, speaking to to perks and. Um, and crawdads specifically, um, the and and going back to to the, you know, the, these could have easily been books that that somebody could have could have brought before us and read um, passages like some like a few people did um, at a at a board meeting a year ago. I feel like um, 
you know, it's it's easy to it's easy to look at that and say, oh, that was just one one passage and taken out of context, and and you know, and I can assure you in this um, in these two books especially, <clears throat> any any passage while while taken as an individual passage, yes, but um, but definitely wasn't out of context in in these cases, and so it was it was actually the context in which the the book was read, and it was um, pretty pervasive from a um, from a content, and I would I would say um, the objectionable content is our is our standard, and and that's what I spoke to on Thursday night. I, I really really want to get to a point where we can um, can come up with a criteria for for evaluating that obse- uh, that um, objectionable content. Right now, there's there's this um, it's it's just very um, intangible um there's no there's no defined guidelines um and i and i hope to be able to uh and i and i will be bringing this up um to to see what we can do to push that um along because i i do want to have um some some guidance that we can approve and even in the absence of something from the state but we're going to we're going to have more and more of these um and i and i want to feel comfortable that what we're putting forth is um meets the um to, to quote one of the um, one of the laws that governs the uh, the use, but to meet the community standard, I think we do have a um, an obligation to the, of for the books that we're putting forth in front of in front of students. I think we um, we have some some amount of um, of stamp of approval that we're that we're putting on those books, and um, and we're um, implicitly, if not explicitly, um, saying that those are. Um, that these are books that we approve to uh, for for our youth to read, and so um, and I, I got I did get a um, did get an email um, talking about the these books, and they 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 were you know there are several there are movies on several of these, and they're all largely PG thirteen, um, but I want to and I and I, I agree with. I agree with Dan. I, we need we need some kind of way to evaluate these books. I don't know if it's a rating system or if it's or if it's some other criteria that we can use. But but I can assure you that that the because I've I've watched a couple of the movies after I read the books, um, and the the movies take some um, some poetic license, um, and and they if all I can say is is on Perks in particular and and Crawdads. If if they described the scenes in the movies in the way in the manner in which they were described in the books, they would not be PG thirteen, um, and so the PG the books are are unabridged and unedited. Um, the movies um, take out certain parts or or position um, scenes in a in a way that gets them the PG thirteen um, audience that they uh, and rating that they need. So um, these are. These are not PG thirteen passages, and um, and so um, which which in essence would would make a any one of these passages would make the movies not PG thirteen, um, and therefore the the books are uh, I think are too mature for for our audience, and so I I hundred percent support the decision that we made because I I agree that we we don't have the criteria to evaluate. Um, but I, I, I really, really, really wish that we, um, that we had, that we get more, 
concrete because I I want to start to first have our have our um, librarians with with some guidance to evaluate these things. But then for us as we as we get these requests, I want to be that be able to do that too. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Galbraith. Mr. Welch. Um, I want to start by just echoing something Ms. Brown said, just thanking the committee or thanking both committees for the work that they did on this. This is, obviously this takes a lot of time and effort um, to put in there. It's, it's important work and um, especially so with um, Ms. Dickerson's committee, the adjustments, um, well, I, the adjustments made, but, but also just the discussion of, of the process, which was a teacher recognition of the literature being used was was not up to par it was not making that connection with the teen audience uh, finding alternatives uh giving those alternatives to the students to to vote on along with their parents making them partners forewarning of them um just all together how it should work uh, so even though we're here right now, I think still, you know, kind of a, a great job uh, with that by by making a, a district parental partnership and in finding um, the best solutions, uh, you know, for the kids. Um, I'm also struck here as, as we're talking about this by kind of the dichotomy that we have of, of the two biggest things that a legislature has been pushing. One is uh, student literacy uh, to the point where if a, if a young child doesn't pass a single test on a single day given standardized high stakes test, they run the risk of being forced to repeat a grade. Um, and we know that repeating grades can lead to not finishing high school. We, we've seen the statistics on that. And we're combining that with the other big push that the legislature has given us, which is making it easier to, to ban books and remove books and stop children from, from reading books, especially challenging literature. So maybe I'm alone in that, but that just seems kind of an odd mix uh, for me of, of these two big pushes that we currently have going on of uh, we need to improve literacy and we need to get more books out of the library um, at the same time. Um, first, I, I say I want to respect the, the rights of anyone who finds the books objectionable. Um, and does not want their child or, or children to read that book, have contact with it, by all means. I, I think that's something that we do respect and that we need to continue to respect those particular views. Even if we disagree with, even if we strongly disagree with on the conclusions they get, the, the respect that you know, that uh, parent has the right to view that. And there's a lot of books like that. I, I can think of friends who uh, use the Harry Potter books, for example, friends in one extreme who, who absolutely will not allow their children to read those and others who can't wait for the new ones to come out or the movie to come out and they're dressing in character and going to the midnight show. And, and who's to say, you know, which of us, which of them is, is right on that, at least in the, the state of, how they choose to raise their own particular child. Um, sorry, I'm thinking how I want to... 
we don't have a lot of guidance on this. I guess that's one of the things that I would sort of say. We've brought up these reasons, you know, if it has um, objection language or, or uh, hard conditions. So I would ask, I guess the first thing is, is that now the standard that we want to go with? Do we want to use hard language or hard conditions as the standard? If so, there's going to be a long list of books that we're going to have to start removing from the library. Um, one of these books came up because an individual who does, as Mr. Mitchell alluded to, does not have children in the system, did not read the book, uh, who was part of a group out of another state, saw a list, and then decided based upon someone else's opinion in another state uh, that we should remove that book, which is an odd, odd process. And so now we're deciding upon that based on that, or are we deciding based upon what? Is it the, the language? Is it the situations? Again, um, if that is what we're going to decide, are we just going to decide it only when someone brings it up? If no one actually complains about it, is it okay to, to leave it in there if it has those materials? Or if we truly object to this and we say that this is the standard, then there's probably a whole lot of literature, long cherished literature, books that, that I read and, and I can think of and my children have read and everything else that we need to go ahead and, and pull out. And along with that, I think about you know, we've we've had this phrase parental rights, and I think everyone here currently on the board who has been on the board in the past two years, I've heard speak of it, parental rights, and all spoken of it in a very positive manner. So I ask each of us individually, not as it pertains to classroom curriculum, which we, Ms. Dickerson's committee made those adjustments because it was literature being used in the classroom and, and very appropriately so. But here we're being asked about pulling it out of the library. So I asked the question of, of individually, what right do you or I or, or we have as individuals to tell another parent that they don't have the right to have their child read that book? Or if they do want to allow them to read that book, that we're going to put barriers in place for them, that they're going to have to opt in, that they're going to go through these things in order to get those books. Honestly, that's, I think in a lot of cases, that's the same as just saying no. I don't disagree. In fact, I do agree with the concept of if you don't want it, we should have some tools in place. There should be some things that you can go, you can opt out of it. But to put the onus on the parent where you've got to go and approve Something simple as a, a book, a book that has already gone through review processes, that has said supports the mission of education. All of these books here that have been reviewed, everyone can say, yes, it supports the, the mission of education with it. They are appropriate. It's kind of that subjective disagreement of whether or not I would want it for my child. And again, that's great. Decide it for yours. But I'm going to say, don't decide it for mine. Um, skimmed through all these books, I've read some, read Sparks Notes, read materials of it, and I'll be frank, I don't have an objection to any of my, I would not have an objection, my kids are old and they can read whatever they want now, they don't care on my opinions, but at the high school level, I would not have an issue of them reading these books. And I will admit, I, I'm much less bubble wrap in, in my philosophy to raising my kids. If harsh language was an issue, I, I, well, I couldn't let them go fishing with grandpa, uh, for example. But I respect the opinions of people that don't.
But I think the flip side of that coin is we need to respect the other individual side. The, the majority of our parents, the majority of our viewers read the books and said, these are okay. And we need to respect that as well and not put the barriers in place for them to get those books from there. Um, I hesitate when we go down this road, but I'm going to. We also talk about hard situations in the books, uh, assaults and, and other scenarios that, that occur. The hard, awful truth is some of our students will experience those in their lifetime. I, I wish it was not the case. I think we all do. In fact, I, I would say just on mere statistics, I would imagine that there's people in this room right now that have experienced many of these similar incidents. When we take that away from them allowing to read that, we take away the ability to be armored in advance of it, for lack of a better term. You, you don't have to go back too far. I can certainly remember in my lifetime where the victim of a sexual assault or something like that was someone often viewed as they had done something wrong themselves, as someone who should feel ashamed themselves. When we bring some of these things to life and we talk about it, what we do is we're talking about these are real life scenarios and we control it in a way that we say, if you are ever happens to you, you are not you have not done wrong here. You have not supported it. I'll wrap it up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's important. And I think we do a disservice to our children when we start doing those things. If you can show me literature where any of these harsh conditions are presented in a positive light, I will be the first in line to say, yes, get that out of there. I think in every one example, these harsh conditions are shown as to sort of as character development, as things that happen to people, as things that can be overcome, as things that are not right, as things that can change society in a positive way. And again, it's not something that I would have a problem with my children, so I would have a problem with any of us saying that I as a parent or anyone else as a parent who feels similarly does not have the right for their children to access that literature if they choose to do so. Thank you. Mr. Welch, Ms. Sapria? wanted to say that I agree with the recommendation of the committee and appreciate your work on this. And I, um, I hope, as we all do, that I trust the professional educators and librarians to do what's right and partner with our parents to make sure that students have access to the best and most appropriate material for them. But that's, that's what their job is. That's what they're there for. I don't feel it's our position to start restricting access to books in the library just because it's a, it's a very slippery slope. And then the last thing, um, when the librarians presented last year, um, it, it really struck me when they mentioned how, I think this is what Eric was kind of alluding to at the end there, um, reading these traumatic experiences in the safety of your own home or in your school where you can experience them without experience the actual trauma of them can develop empathy and, and build character and really give them a... Um, an opening for a conversation with a trusted teacher or family member to, on how to deal with those things. So I don't necessarily think it's always a bad thing. That was 
all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Apriya. And Mr. Brown. Chair, um, a couple of things have stood out to me since we started this discussion, and it really goes back to Ms. Dickerson's presentation. What's even stuck with me since last Thursday was, um, and when she said it again tonight, it, it reminded me that in the curriculum discussion, she brought up the words um, books of choice, that those were not required reading of those students, but they were books of choice. And therefore, they had, I'm interpreting what she said a little bit here, that maybe the committee felt like they had the, the flexibility to then make some decisions that they might not have made or could, could, would not have made had it been a required reading choice. Um, parents were involved in the process. Parents got to help their, their students and their, their children select the books um, to make decisions if they wanted to read them or not. Um, that seems to me to be very similar to what we're talking about here with library books. I mean, by definition, library books are books of choice. Um, and whether we like it or not, the state law now puts the, the burden on us to make a decision that we didn't have to make before. So I'm gonna ask the question, I guess, of counsel, would, be, would we be within our rights to say that stopping short of actually removing the books from the library that we could require in these four books specifically that parental approval be required before those books were checked out. Osbrooks, can you answer that for us? I can. So um, there is case law that would disagree that that would be appropriate under the first and 14th amendment. Um, there's a case not from Tennessee, but from a neighboring state um, involving Harry Potter books. Um, and it, that, what, what they did in that particular case was require a permission slip prior to accessing the book from the parent. And that district court held that that was an infringement upon the student's First Amendment right. Again, not a case directly on point in Tennessee, but um, that case is out there. It has been cited over 40 times in different districts. So that is something I do want the board to be aware of when you are considering that as a potential um, response. Follow up on that. Jason or council, do we, do we know of other districts in the state so far that have made any decisions to per that law? Um, to remove books or to make modifications like the one I just mentioned? I'm not aware of any. It's possible there may be one out there. Ms. Osbrooks actually is. Yes, there are at this point districts within the state of Tennessee who have removed library books. I'm not, I'm not aware one way or the other of curriculum because remember our curriculum, which, which while Mrs. Dickerson said it is a book of choice, it is still part of the curriculum. So there is a different standard there from the library book um, legally. So the track, the, we're not getting the same traction or the same coverage on what's happening with curriculum like we are with library books across the state. But yes, there are districts who have 
at this point, removed library books in Tennessee from their shelves. Mr. Brown, were you speaking to the restriction question you had asked or? Well, I was speaking to removal or, or any, any restrictions short of removal. So I am not aware, they have been full removals. I'm not aware in Tennessee that there have been any um, restrictions on grade level or age of library books. Um, that has not hit my radar. What, what's the view as to whether removal would be construed as a, a worse infringement, if you will, on a First Amendment right than a restriction? I guess I'm fielding that one too. So, I'm <laughs> so the um, courts at this point have not looked at one to be harsher than the other. The courts have determined both a removal or restrictions to access. So just even asking for parental permission in um, several cases has been enough to violate a student's First Amendment right and 14th Amendment right. So I'm, I'm not aware of any case that says restriction versus um, a grade level a, restric a restriction of a grade level versus removing the book, one is, quote-unquote, worse than the other. They have considered both to be violations of our students' rights. Sorry for the continued questions, but um, I think this is important. It's the first time we're dealing with this. It's going to be the first of many, I'm, I think. Um, so what, what did the court in those instances determine was the remedy when they decided it was a violation? To put the book back on the shelf. That was it? That was the end of the... Um, well, it, so different cases had different outcomes, and I don't want to get too far into procedural. Um, the case that I mentioned regarding Harry Potter, it was to put the book back on the shelf and allow um, any student without having to get parental access first to check out the book. That district, just as an aside, has the same had the same process that we do that would allow any parent to opt out of a library book. So um, that was already the case. I also do want to point out that case also talked about the fact that that child could get the book from the public library and in fact even owned some of the Harry Potter books at home. Um, and with those facts, the district court still found, found a violation. Um, Procedurally, there are a couple of cases that were motions for summary judgment. Um, so they were sent back to the trial court. And I can't tell you what that trial court did um, because that was not part of the record. But of the cases um, that, was a, that was found to be a violation, the book went back on, on the shelf. I'm not aware. Um, and, and obviously, a expense that isn't talked about would be um, time and the litigation expense because the um, that was quite a hefty price tag. All right, I'm going to ask one more. Sorry. Uh, well, I, I wanted to add a, add a little bit. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're not aware of any cases that have addressed the Tennessee law, the Age Appropriateness Materials Act of 2022, at this point. That, that is correct. I'm not aware um, of any cases that have been filed challenging that law. 
That's that's the one with the language where the determination is to be made for the appropriate appropriateness of the age and maturity levels of the student who may access the materials. Correct. And that's 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 one of the key areas that Mr. Galbraith mentioned is that, you know, we're we're at the early stages of this discussion. And so there is a little bit of a of the unknown. There is, but I will point out in our policy that we do set out expectations for our librarians as well as of, of what should be included in library books when they are selecting those library books. And it's the same, the same language that we've had in, that, in our policy for years. Um, so there is some guidance, not maybe about what is or is not age appropriate. Um, although I would submit again, there is guidance in our board policy regarding age appropriateness and the maturity of um, our students. Okay, I wasn't gonna ask this, but to that point, what is a practical matter, what does that mean though, in terms of what can be done about maturity and age appropriateness? So in our policy, um, when we're looking at the process of reviewing library materials, and this is also you know, state law, materials are suitable for and consistent with the educational mission of the school. Materials are appropriate for the age and maturity levels of the students who may access them. The determining factors will be based on an assessment of any mature themes or contents, i.e. violence, sexual content, vulgar language. Um, we also have in our policy materials contain liter literary, historical, and or artistic value and merit. Um, those are all pieces from either state law or um, federal law, uh, U.S. Supreme Court, the PICO decision uh, regarding the literary, historical, and or artistic value and merit. So there is some guidance. Um, and again, I know we were anticipating additional guidance, but there is a place for us to start those discussions. I'm thinking back to the presentation last year from the librarians, which was very informative, but I remember asking a question of them about, and it's, this was, it was only two represent, I mean, it's certainly not representative of everybody, but the question was posed about you know, in your in your career, have you ever run across a book, you know, as a librarian, have you ever run across a book that you would have deemed be, to be worthy of removal from the from the circulation? And the answer was no. I feel like that's kind of where we find ourselves is that most in most cases, the decision is going to be that we're not going to remove it um, for whatever, for professional reasons, literary reasons, what have you. Um, and then ultimately it comes back to this board to make a decision, again, based on the state law. In the absence of guidance, it's up to us to come up with something. And I think we're kind of floundering a little bit trying to figure out what that is. Um, I hear you on the legal issues. I'm inclined to make a motion that the, these four books be subject to some kind of parental uh, approval. Uh, in, and maybe we make it contingent upon there being some further guidance from the state until we get such further guidance from the state and we can revisit it. Um, but I feel like it's, you know, I've heard Jay's comments about the content. I've read some of these books, some of the content in question. It is heavy. It is very mature. Um, I go back to this. I know curriculum's different, but I go back to the principle of the parental choice, books of choice. Um, if we have the ability to shield 
students from something that they shouldn't be getting their hands on, um, why wouldn't we? And if we have the ability to also allow anyone who wants it to get access to it, I don't feel like that's a restriction on their ability to get those books. So I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with this, but I, I feel like that's where I'm leaning and I'd like to put that into a motion. Unless, unless I'm told that we can't do that. Yeah. So, so the motion would be to agree with not removing them fully from the library, but with these specific books in question to have a requirement that parents approve before the child can check the book out. Proper motion. Okay, so currently we have a motion on the floor to amend the current recommendation. So it, it would simply be that the board would be voting to approve that the parents would have the opportunity to approve these four books, well, the, the right? Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. The requirement. What it is is, is the requirements. So what will happen is, is which, what your motion is, is that you want to restrict it unless somebody has a parental um, permission slip or, or something like that, right? Um, yes, yeah, so some kind of affirmative either permission slip or... Parental permission or... Parental permission, yeah. That's a valid motion. So restrict access to the four library books in question. With, yeah, without parental permission. And that would be just something administrative and operational we would have to address as a district. If I may, Madam Chair, I'd like to ask Ms. Glenn what she wrote down to describe the, uh, the, the motion. <laughs> There's not a second yet. I just want to make sure we define the motion bef before. Um, Mr. Brown amended the motion to restrict the four books in question to have parental permission. Would that require re permission? Parental permission. Okay. Can you say opt in? Well, if I may. Um, if, if 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 I understood Mr. Brown's motion, I jotted down as uh, as he was speaking. He said to not remove them in their entirety, but have approval for from parents prior to checking them out, or was it reading them prior to checking them out? Unless there's some other better way to say checking them out some other more official way to say that. Is that a valid motion? Do we have a second to Mr. Brown's motion in this? You would be seconding the approval from parents prior to checking out any of the four library books. 
Mr. Galbraith seconds that. So we'll now clear the, um, I can't think, can we clear these, save, save those in line? No. Okay. So we'll have, we'll open the floor for discussion at this point on this specific amendment. Mr. Galbraith. My second, my, my request back to, to Mr. Brown would be, um, just based on the, based on these books, um, I would, I would limit the, I would limit the restriction, um, to only perks and um, and the crawdads book. The other the other two, uh, I think, as the as the committee from a from a curriculum standpoint, we said we said that they were actually appropriate for um, for for use at the at the at the tenth grade level um, in curriculum for um, for optional books, and so. Um, I really don't think I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But well, I wouldn't say that all four of these are equal. So, um, from a motion standpoint, if you're willing to um, to amend it just to those two books, and amend the amendment once. So, we, Mr. Brown, are you in favor of this amendment to your amendment? Okay. Um. Works of being a wallflower and where the crawdad scene. So we have a motion and a second on the floor to approve for the board to approve approval from parents prior to checking out perks and where the crawdad sings. Um, now we will continue the discussion and we're at Miss Cleveland. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm a little hesitant about this for a couple of reasons. Number one is if we're just saying checking out the library, so basically they can come in during their reading periods and read it. You know, if they wanted to, they can come sit in the library and read it. Um, the other is we're still, we at some point when Mrs. Dickerson was talking about the emotional well-being of the students and sometimes these books exposed to them that they're not alone. I think Eric was, uh, Mr. Welch was talking about that. And so if that's the case, and I'm just gonna give you a scenario, and it only takes one student, we think about all students. If there is a child that has gone through something traumatic, whether being bullying, whether sexual abuse or whatever, if there is a book in that library that they can go and feel safe to read and that they're not alone, would that child actually go to their parent for parental um, permission? And that's what bothers me about that because they could be somebody that, you know, they can't go to their parents. And now they're res we're restricting them from the library. So that's where my hesitance on this. So I'll have to vote against that. Thank you, Ms. Cleveland. Mr. Haw? Thank you. Um, along the lines of what Ms. Cleveland asked, it has staff or uh, council had an opportunity to evaluate this amendment prior to tonight? No, sir. So, okay. other, other than what I have previously, I mean, it, it's very similar to, to the case that I've previously mentioned. Mr. Hoff, I may give a little detail. We do have a process in place, if I'm not mistaken, the librarian spoke to a year ago where parents can request of librarians for specific 
um, titles uh, not to be checked out by their children. That's a little, that's different from this structure specified. I, and I took a lot of comfort in that presentation and, and the, um, the professionalism of those people who have, have reviewed the books that are in the library and that procedure that they have in place to res respect the concerns of parents. So it, let me throw out a use case here. If we had an 18-year-old student, a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old student who's a high school senior, and they wanted to read these books, but they did not get a permission slip turned in from their parents under this amendment, would they be able to read those books? My understanding of that would be no, that under this amendment language, it would require parent permission. Even an 18-year-old student? Well, if you would, speak speak to 18-year-olds. <laughs> so um, an 18-year-old student, uh, that that is a complicated question. I'll try to give you a not-so-complicated answer. Maybe an 18-year-old student could check out that book without parental permission if that student has either been emancipated or um, we do have a process that our students go through that they are making decisions at 18. Not every student does that. Some students continue um, for their parent or guardian to make those decisions. Um, so it is possible an 18-year-old student would still be seeking parental um, or guardian permission because that is how they operate with every decision. If that, I see a head nod, so I think that made sense. Yep. Um, okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the context of the First Amendment rights of the students potentially being infringed upon with this, and I don't take that lightly when we're talking about that and hearing that guidance from counsel. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hall. Ms. Sapria? Yeah, I, I understand the struggle there, Josh. It's hard um, to think this through, but I I feel very comfortable with the fact that we already have the opt-out. And I think as we've been discussing this, and especially with the amendment to the amendment that um, Jay brought forth, we're kind of getting into that slippery slope of restricting things and having to draw the line for our personal beliefs where the parents and the students may have a very different line to draw. And so I just, I think we, we have to be careful and I, I would prefer to just use the opt out that we have for parents and, and let people have access to the books unrestricted. Thank you, Ms. Apriya. Mr. Cash. Thank you, Madam Chair. <clears throat> I, uh, I agree with, uh, Mr. Ha, to a certain extent, but going back to a rating scale, these books would be open to, you know, students that of that age group. I mean, that, this, that can be set up. We, we just eliminate a lot of these arguments, and it is in our court right now, what we want these children to read and what we don't, because the state's not stepping up to the plate. I, I've got a question. Uh, Ms. Osbrook, uh, <clears throat> was I to understand you to say that parents infringe on the students' rights, basically? That 
that parents infringe? That parents no. parents can't really can't infringe on their rights in school. So in other words, parents don't really have a say in some of these other lawsuits? No, sir. I don't recall saying that. Okay, so so what Jay, um, uh, Mr. Brown is suggesting is very appropriate. Not based upon the case law, no, sir. Well, going back to case law, then a parent's signature for a child to read a book should not be against the law. So the difference is a parent saying to the librarian, my child cannot check this book out. The court found that to be appropriate. The court did not find it appropriate for the school district, in that case, the Board of Education, to determine that the child sh should have to seek parental approval prior to access to that book. That was the difference. So if we did, if this board came up with a rating scale for books, that would be fine with the law. Not based An upon age, the case age law. Appropriate, age appropriate. No, that, I, I, no, sir, I don't agree with that proposition. So, so this amendment is, would not be legal. Based upon the case law in another state, they have held that it was a violation of the child's First and Fourteenth Amendment rights. Yes, sir. You know, until, until we get this straightened out, I mean, we, we had people come in here and read from books that was totally gross a year ago. And it doesn't matter where or who brought this up. It was still disgusting. As a matter of fact, we muted it. This is what's going through our school. Some of these books may not seem appropriate to some parents and may seem appropriate to others. My thing is, is these children are minors. Is that pertinent to the discussion of these two books, Dan? Yes. I, I'll ask that, I guess, point of order here. Got a question or a statement? Then go ahead and just wrap it up for us. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm just. What what we what we need to do is we need to find out for sure if we can allow our parents to say yay or nay to a book. That's all, and we shouldn't we shouldn't allow a student to go in and take a book out and start reading it and have the parent find out later. It's, it, this is just putting it putting it in up front rather than on the other end. This, the process is, has, is great. The teachers and principals and the people on these have done a fantastic job. But we still need something in place to protect the children. They are minors. And we can't get a straight answer uh, as far as case law goes, whether it's this state or another state. And we can't get a straight answer out of our own state. So I do support Mr. Brown's amendment right now. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cash. Mr. Wimberly? Uh, several things, or a couple of things, actually. 
We're talking some very complex and even controversial subjects uh, right now. It seems to me that we're not going to get them resolved tonight. Uh, I don't think we should resolve them tonight. We need research on case law. We need guidance from our professionals. We need a lot before um, we could do this. And so I would suggest that I would ask that you withdraw the motion and then let's direct our superintendent to do whatever we think is appropriate so that we can deal with this appropriately and intelligently. That's one thing. The other thing, if your intent is to keep these books out of the hands of children, out of students, we can do whatever we want. You can get these books anywhere. And you can also be assured that if we put stipulations on these books, that their value will increase. In fact, I've heard it said that, that certain that authors like these discussions because it drives up book sales. I would also say that I don't think all of us have read all of these books. And um, I've read them all. One of them, uh, I never understood what was going on and saw the movie and never understood what was going on. The other was one of the wittiest uh, books I think I've ever read. And if I could only quip like those high school kids could, uh, you wouldn't roll your eyes with, with my wise comments anymore. So I think that we need to step back and, and do whatever we need to do tonight to, to deal with this properly. And I'd have to ask the question, is there a reason that we have to vote on this tonight? If I may speak to that, um, I, I, I'm just going to be blunt. I like your idea, Mr. Wimbley. I was thinking a lot of the same things when you were speaking to that. I think about what we discussed at the work session and then the depth of this discussion now. Very different, very different discussions. So I would like to double check with Ms. Osbrooks on one point and then ask Mr. Cook a question. Ms. Osbrooks, is there is there anything in the law that requires a particular date for the board to make a decision once there's a recommendation from the committee? No, sir, there is not. It would be appropriate under our policy, state law, if this if we wanted to table this or move it to another month. Thank you for that. And and you, your last cop comments um, uh, uh, preface my question of Mr. Cook. Mr. Cook, if it's the board's desire to have a deeper discussion uh, uh, about this prior to a vote, what's the appropriate method to achieve that? Motion to po postpone to, a, to whatever date you want to postpone it to. Did that motion be made while we have a motion Absolutely. on the floor? It's like I make a motion that we postpone this to a later date. Um, let's do it my birthday. Um, no, no, I, for I, the next I, meeting or meeting after. Is... Go ahead. I may make a suggestion. Let, if, if we're going to have some time and potentially even an interim meeting, I would suggest two months from now. If we're sitting here in February, March, April. I changed my motion to recommend that we deal with this and defer postpone 
just table it first and then that's a different motion that will that will probably kill it because then there has to be an actual act to bring it back on the table where we've got a postponement it's going to be on the agenda in two months so the current motion on the table is by mr wimberly and it's the motion to defer to the april board meeting do we have a second mr mitchell okay <laughs> it's not you okay um so now we can um, clear the board to speak on this motion. This is to defer this decision. Mr. Brown. So can, can we get clear or can I get clarification on the, the actual practical way in which the opt out, the current opt out process works? So, so to put it more specifically, if a parent were going to proactively go and opt out their, their student, from any of these books in question, what would they have to do currently? May I raise a point of order that really the only thing we should be discussing is the motion on the floor? Correct. Well, with respect, Elliot, my question gets to Rick's motion because he's, he's asking to delay this and basically essentially cut off the debate on what we've been talking about. So I'm trying to understand before I vote on his motion what the current opt-out procedure is, so it is germane, in my opinion. Okay. So was the other motion dropped? No, the other motion is below this one. We resolve this motion, then we can go back and discuss the other one based upon what we vote on this motion. And if it passes, then we're done. If it doesn't pass, you go back to the motion to amend. Okay. And if I may, we have another one right behind this one. Ms. Cleveland. I um, think we've kind of got off the tracks here. Um, we have four books here that went through committee. The complainant was satisfied with the solution and we're debating whether those books stay in this is from what my opinion is is they i thought it was already resolved and the complainant was okay with it and um, respected the committee's decision and so my feeling is is why are we delaying these four books now i know i think what we're discussing is we need to have a process there's no question we're discussing and debating about a process but are these the books we're starting the process with? I don't understand why we can't just go ahead and vote on these books, knowing that we are in the future gonna to have to develop a process. I just think we kind of, I don't know, it just seems, it's already been agreed. <laughs> if I may, Madam Chair, speak to that. There's a, there's a motion to amend that, that underlying motion. And the, the depth of the discussion with the motion to amend triggered questions about particular case law, um, case law that was that was that, that was outside our our circuit, yeah, but but may have an impact. The depth the the depth of that discussion leaves me concerned that you all may need a, a more in depth conversation with your attorneys about what this means. There's forty five, 50 years worth of case law related to boards making decisions on library books. And 
I, I'm concerned that if a if, that if you make a decision on that amendment, which then, if passed, would affect that underlying motion that we discussed in lesser detail at the work session, um, we may be coming back facing a more difficult situation. Um, another potential issue that I, I, I'm going to ask Mr. Cook to study is the extent to which um, the boards can have attorney-client privilege discussions on issues like this uh, that are that are outside the outside the uh, for Golden getting direct advice from an attorney. Um, Superintendent Golden, um, there would. My opinion would be at this point, there would be enough information um, for an attorney-client meeting based on a potential threat of litigation. I'm finished, okay. sorry, thank Mr. you. Mr. Welt. Thank you, to, to Rick's point about authors who love these discussions i would remind everyone that the book mouse quickly became the number one selling book on amazon and almost unattainable at some points because our colleagues in another school district decided that they um respect mr wimberly i don't think this should be delayed i think this should be removed the motion on the floor is to defer yes Keep your it's comments to pertinent the to the motion on the floor so I don't think the motion to delay, we should be delaying it. I think it should be removed. This was not, this did not follow our procedure long established where we don't surprise our colleagues. We don't surprise our staff with motions like this in lieu of discussions. We went from banning four books to, well, okay, well, just the two of them here in about 10 seconds. We're discussing whether or not it complies with state law and federal law. We're not sure about that. We're not sure how it should be handled. We don't know the standards. This is the very definition of putting the cart before the horse here of we want to ban these books and we can't really define why. If a parent doesn't want their child to read these books, they don't have to read these books right now, today. They can make that request and get it blocked that is possible already. They can see all the books their, stu their students are reading. They can restrict any books. So we already have the gist of what this is doing in place. This is expanding it well beyond the scope of that and it's doing it in a way that none of us here have had an opportunity to discuss the ramifications among ourselves or with professional staff, including legal staff. Thank you, Mr. So, Mr. Welch, just to clarify, you were just commenting, you were not making any type of a motion. Okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Okay. All righty. Mr. Brown. What would be the practical effect of delaying until April, which is the motion on the floor, as far as these four books are concerned? I can speak to the practical. I think I can speak to the practical. Uh, there's a recommendation right now from the committee that 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 you all leave the books in, right? So we would continue as we have been since this request was submitted. Was it? I think October, if I'm not mistaken, since this request was submitted in October. 
pursuant to our board policy with the um, review for the request for reconsideration, the um, library books remain on the shelf. So, uh, Mr. Galbraith? I, I appreciate Rick's motion. I fully support it. I think if we, if it, if it does pass, I would, I would just respectfully, based on our, based on our board policy, um, I would ask the board members to, um, to review, especially the, the two books that were up on, on Josh's motion, if not all four, just because the, um, and that, and Dana, can you, can, well, I don't, I don't want to ask a question on a turn, but I would, I would like to, I would like clarity if we can, after the, after the meeting, if, if it passes, um, just clarity on our, on our current policy and what, what it would require of us. So right now, and I just want to seek some clarification too. this motion to defer to the April board meeting. Is this to defer the original motion? Original motion. Okay. And which would wipe the amendment. The amendment so we are then moving on after this, if we approve this, to item G on the agenda, which is a different topic. So right now, what we have is Mr. Wimberly's motion to defer this agenda item to the April board meeting. We have a second by Mr. Mitchell. We've gone through our discussion, and it is now time to cast a vote on this item. That's that we are voting to defer. So a vote yes would be that you support deferral to the April board meeting. Okay. Yes. I recommend Mr. approval. Your vote is nine yes, three no. So with this with these votes, this motion did pass. And what we voted to approve is that we will defer the recommend, recommendation of the reconsideration committee um, for the speak perks of being a wallflower, the field guide to the North American teenager and where the crawdads sing. And we will have a recommendation presented to us in the work session in April so that we can have a vote in April. And if I may, Madam Chair, my first step is going to have a conversation with the attorneys about scheduling an attorney-client meeting, uh, if that is within the scope of what Tennessee allow a law, allow a law allows. Did I say that properly? Tennessee law allows. Thank you, everybody, for your active participation in that. Clearly not an easy topic. Um, Okay, our next item on the agenda is approval of the Reconsideration Committee's recommendation for the library book, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Thank you, Madam Chair. I wanna make sure we do this right. What you've been talking about this la these last few minutes is extremely important. It may be the most important burden the state has ever put on you. And so to that, I would recommend that you do the same with this item that you just did with the last. Uh, and defer it to a date and certain to our April regular board meeting. So we need a motion to approve Mr. Golden's recommendation that we defer this to the April board meeting. Do we have a motion? Mr. Beasley, do we have a second? Mr. Brown. Okay. 
And do we have any discussion? Can I get a readout of what the motion was? Yes, sorry. This, um, per Mr. Golden's recommendation, we will, if, if, if approved, we will t uh, defer the approval of the reconsideration committee's recommendation of extremely loud and considerably close. And incredibly close. Yeah, you're going to need a motion to get it on the table first, and then the second, and then you can do the deferral. So we need a motion to get it on the table. We need to make a motion to accept the committee's recommendation and then defer that yes. motion. Yes. Apologize. Got it. All right. So backing up really quick, um, we do need to get a. I guess we need to clear that. I'll make that. Okay, Mr. Mitchell, motions to approve the initial recommendation. Mr. Galbraith seconds. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then. Okay. Okay. I've got Mr. Galbraith as a second. Okay. Thank you. Then we need to open for discussion and we would need to open the floor for discussion and somebody could move at this point to amend. Mr. Mitchell? I move that we defer this motion to the April board meeting. Okay. Mr. Mitchell um, moves motions to I, amend. I, my motion is that we defer this recommendation, this motion, my motion until April. A, a motion to accept. To second that. Okay, so Ms. Apria seconds. Any discussion? We have Dan. Mr. Ka Mr. Cash, you want to discuss? Thank you, Madam Chair. I was just wondering uh, if it wouldn't be for everybody's benefit to bring in a an outside attorney uh, to to help with the the description and and all the legalities. It seems like we keep going over the same the same legal issues and you know it just we don't we don't have answers so I was wondering if that's if that's something we might look at um, we can discuss that as the executive committee uh, and it, that's and, fine yeah. thank you okay now I think we are ready to cast our votes on this amendment to defer to April Your vote is 10 yes, 2 no. With this approval, we did pass the motion to defer the decision to April regarding the extremely loud and incredibly close library book. Our next item is the approval of the naming of the new elementary school on Cox Road. Mr. Golden. Thank you, Madam. Th thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, uh, I know that uh, Tim McNeese is pulling up the memo uh, related to Cox Road. Uh, this particular committee uh, that included uh, staff members, uh, school board members from the area, and county commissioners from the area made a recommendation based on priority, as you see. Uh, Arrington Elementary School, Patton Elementary School, and Arrington Creek Elementary School in that order. Um, I'm going to wait on a recommendation pending your discussion. Uh, um, and Madam Chair, ready for a motion to put this on the floor. Do we have a motion? Ms. Cleveland. I have a, I have oh. a motion. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'd like to make a motion to 
I'd like to make a motion to um, recommend Arrington Elementary School. Do we have a second? Mr. Welch. So the motion on the floor is for Arrington Elementary School. Do we have any discussion? Yes, Point of order. Um, may I remove my second? Yeah, yeah. I, let me do that, as I think it would be more appropriate for someone who represents that area okay. to, to make that. Absolutely. Okay, do we have a second? Ms. Apriya. <laughs> Thank you. Um, do we have any discussion? Can't see. Can I see that screen? All right, Ms. Apriya. I'll just say it was a really enjoyable experience serving on the naming committee for this school, and we had a really great discussion about all three options, and I am really excited about the choice that Ms. Cleveland has provided as a motion, so thank you. <laughs> okay, well, we can cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Fantastic. And with that uh, unanimous vote, we have a new elementary school named Arrington Elementary School. Thank you. <laughs> Super. And our final agenda item is the approval of the name for the new elementary school located on Wilkes Lane. Thank you, Madam Chair. The committee has the proposed names there in front of you. They do; they are not prioritized based on this committee report, but I would like to suggest to you that if you choose to honor uh, Amanda North, that the motion specifically state Amanda H. North. Um, it, I'm, I'm gonna add a little bit of my thought on this as your superintendent. There is a tradition and precedent for individuals who are deeply involved in the school system to have their middle initials, W.P. Scales and Fred J. Page. So whoever makes the motion, if that's your choice, I do request that you add the H. Do we have a motion? Mr. Mitchell? Thank you, Madam Chair. I'd like to make the motion that we name the uh, new school in Spring Hill, Amanda H. North Elementary School. Fantastic. And I would like to second that motion. I can't. I can't. I can't. Okay. I can't. I can't second. I can't second as a chair. Gary. Okay. Mr. Cash seconds. I can't second, but in my head I do. So. Because <laughs> I was on the committee. So, yeah. All right. So now we can open the floor to discussion. Um, so first off, I want to, again, thank the committee for all this. I know this is um, hard work, but it's also enjoyable work from, from what I understand, the ability to get in and, and um, dig in the history and everything else. And so we thank the, the committee for their contribution on this. Um, I know when I got the two names, um, I, I saw the North Star name, and, and I will say I really like the North Star name. I, I hope we can recycle that for future. I, I, I saw it, I thought, you know, it's the, the brightest star in the sky. It's, it's, it has been used for navigation, for 
since the dawn of, of mankind. It's, it's aspirational. Um, there's a lot of good things about that name, and it, it didn't really appeal to me. And then I read the description of it, and I kind of went, ooh, no. Um, I, I like that name for the name, the North Star. Um, but I like it for a future high school. I mean, obviously, we are a future school. Obviously, we have a, a clear winner in the house um, for this one. And I, I like it in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's nice to have learned the, the history of uh, Miss North and the process. And, and as I was looking at that, I kind of Googled the name for um, definition of a hero. Um, I thought it was good. A, a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. And I thought, yeah, this qualifies. And, and not only does it qualify as a hero, but it's it's a local hero, and it's an education hero. And how appropriate to hit the trifecta for one of our schools. Um, the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of our heroes being torn down, both in the, the public space and, and here locally as well. I think some of the heroes in our curriculum, from uh, you know a man who marched on Washington to a little girl who uh, was the first to integrate her schools and attacks on it. And for me, I'm, I'm not saying that everyone feels this way, but for me at least, this is a way to repudiate um, those attacks and, and say, you know, our heroes matter, uh, our history and our values matter. And, you know, we, we are not a, a perfect nation by, by any stretch of the imagination, but we are a nation that holds certain ideal qualities in which we were formed upon. And we're a nation that can get better and can improve and can recognize an ideal. And, and someone who may initially have been treated in such a way that they were not allowed admission into one of our schools. Here we are today that we're naming one of our schools for that very same person for very noble reasons. So I'm excited about this and I appreciate my colleagues for making the, the motion and, and again for the committee for coming up with that name. Thank you, Mr. Welch. Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, when we were uh, as part of the committee, when we were talking about this, you know, one of the things that kind of hit me about uh, Mrs. North's story was that for a woman in the 40s to ascend to a, a leadership position speaks a lot because real, that really was, was not what happened in the 40s. For a, for a black woman to ascend to a leadership position, you know, just speaks to the, to me, the intellect, the passion for education, the love for children, the respect that the community must have had for this lady, you know, uh, because the, there was so many barriers for women alone on top of, on top of the segregation of the schools at the time too. So um, I, I'm excited that we can, we can recognize this lady with, by naming a school after her. And I'm excited that her family is here tonight to see that happen. And uh, I, I, M Madam Chair, your suggestion in the committees was that we, that we commission a plaque kind of that, hang, that would hang in the school explaining Mrs. North's history 
and who she was and what she did and, and why the school is named after her, I think is a, something that I hope Mr. Golden, we can make happen as well, because it's, uh, it's not enough, I think, to just name, to, to, put a, to, to put her name on the school. I think we need to make sure that everybody entering that school has the opportunity to read her story, to read her story as well. So thank you. Uh, and I think it's, uh, last thought up my head here is that I think it's just so, it, it's really kind of neat that we're doing that during Black History Month as well. I think kind of speaks as well because she is absolutely part of Williamson County's history. Okay, Mr. Beasley. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Chair. Am I good? Now you're good. <laughs> All right. So um, thank you again uh, for allowing me to speak. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here because I'm a, definitely an advocate for children. I'm an advocate for educators. Um, and so this is definitely a perk of sitting in this seat to be able to vote for uh, Amanda H. North um, Elementary School. Um, it's, it's a privilege and an honor and I think it's one of the greatest honors that a person could obtain. So um, this is a very special night and I'm almost emotional about it. So, um, but anyway, thank you. So. Thank you, Mr. Beasley. Mr. Cash. Thank you, Madam Chair. Ms. North represents a totally dedicated person, and we have dedicated people from all races. But you can just look in this room and see where that dedication led with our principals that are now working, grandchildren of this woman, the impact she's had on the Natchez community as a whole all down through the years, if you look at the history. She was a totally dedicated servant. And believe it or not, we have many, many of those in our school system today that can carry on just as everyone in this room is doing. And it's just one of the things about Williamson County Schools that a lot of people don't understand is teachers are called. Teachers are called. It's not all about money. Money's good, but it's not all about money. It's a calling. It's a calling to have to look at children and listen to their stories every single day. And some of them you just want to cry for the children. And that burden that's laid on your heart day in and day out for children, it's a calling. And Miss North had this, and she showed it for 40 years. And it sure has rubbed off. I'm proud to vote for Miss North. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cash. Mr. Hall? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I just wanted to make a couple of quick points. I'm, I'm very happy with the history lessons that we get in these processes and the fact that, um, as, as others have pointed out, it's kind of cool that the school that's in the south part of the community will be named North so that people will be prompted to ask about her. And um, but in addition to that, that you know, this is this is a school that's going to last many, many, many generations of students. So, really, really has a lasting impact. And I do thank the committee for their work in pushing forward this choice. And just for everyone's edification too, the committees are tasked; they have to come up with multiple recommendations. So, um, you know, as as things have been, uh, as there's been some concern about the choices presented. I just wanted to make sure that everybody understood that the committees are required to come forward with two or three options. So, 
and I do appreciate that we have this one. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hall. Mr. Wimberly. Compared to a couple of other things on the agenda tonight, this is an easy one. <laughs> thank you to the committee and, and thank you to the public who have been uh, persistent in reaching out to us. I may, Madam Chair. I, I've, I've appreciated the, the discussion of history too, and it reminds me that we are stewards of what came before. Um, this work was here before we arrived on this earth. This work is gonna continue after we leave. Uh, it's obvious that Miss North grasped that and was an excellent steward of what she had. I see that as a charge to me personally, and I know many of our faculty and staff see that too, that we have that responsibility to be good stewards. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, it's, it's a strange combination of being proud and humble uh, that, uh, that you all have had this discussion and are about to vote on this decision. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Golden. I think we're ready to cast our votes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. And congratulations, we have another new elementary school, Amanda H. North Elementary School. And with that, we are adjourned. Oh.